Hi, and welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. It's Wednesday, January 25th, and I'm Laura Paskus, senior producer for Our Land, New Mexico's environmental past, present, and future. So in December, a young female wolf left her pack in southeastern Arizona. She traveled through New Mexico, crossing I-25 and I-40 multiple times as she headed north, looking for a mate. I've been watching the wolf's progress the last few weeks and spoke on Monday with Brady McGee. He's the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's Mexican Wolf Recovery Coordinator. I thought we would be talking about the wolf's movement in northern New Mexico, but he told me that she had been captured the day before on Sunday. Here we talk about why she was captured and what might be next for her, and we talk about Mexican wolf recovery in general. Brady McGee, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Appreciate being here. Thank you. So we're talking Monday morning. Um, big news is that a female wolf from southeastern Arizona has been making her way through New Mexico um, the past month or so. Can you give us a little update on where she is and where she's been traveling? Um, I can give you an update. In fact, uh, we um, captured her yesterday and moved her to our Sevilla PN. She was traveling up in Northeast New Mexico about um, 90 miles north of I-40, about 15 miles east of Angel Fire, um, kind of settled in in that area. And has been up there for um, most of the month of January. And so, um, so as of yesterday, um, we, uh, Anytime a wolf moves north of I-40, our protocol is to monitor it for at least 14 days, let it see if it will move back south of I-40 on its own. Um, our main recovery program is trained to recover wolves south of I-40. And so um, any wolves that move north of I-40 are fully protected under the Endangered Species Act. Uh, south of I-40, we have uh, 10J population with reduced regulations so that we can more effectively manage wolves, especially a large predator that uh, eats livestock. And so um, when wolves move north of I-40 and they are attacking livestock, there's nothing landowners can do about it because they're fully protected under the act. And this wolf uh, moved north into an area and settled on private land. And um, after 14 days, it was pretty obvious it wasn't gonna move back down south and um, at the request of the landowners, we've captured it and um, it's currently in a pen at uh, our Sibieta National Wildlife Refuge. And so what will happen to her next? So she will go back out into the wild. Um, we have several different options. She originated in Arizona um, out of the Prime Canyon pack. And so one of the things that we are looking at is um, putting her together with a mate right now and releasing her back out into the wild in April. Um, we could put her back out into the wild in Arizona, or we could translocate her to Mexico and release her into the wild down there. Part of this recovery program is establishing a second population in Mexico, about 150 miles south of the border um, of the Arizona-New Mexico border. And right now the population down there is about 30 to 40 individuals. So we're really trying to boost the population down there. Our population here in the U.S. is um, around 200 individuals. And so 
Uh, we're doing fairly good here in the U.S., but we're still trying to bolster the population down there. And so right now she is in captivity. Um, her genetics are actually not very good. Um, she's, they're pretty redundant. She's pretty inbred. Um, so we are looking at um, uh, selecting a mate for her that would give us uh, the best genetics and the best contribution in the wild. I'm worried that if we were to just trach her and translocate her directly to the wild, that she would, um, you know, we can't control who she mates with and she might select somebody that uh, perpetuates bad genetics. And so we are trying to bolster that genetics by selecting a mate for her. And then we will release her back out in the wild in April uh, before she dens and has pups. So just to back up a little bit, when she left Arizona in December, um, what was she what was she doing? What was she looking for? So she is a one-year-old female um, that is dispersing from her natal pack, which is pretty common for one-year-olds. Um, sometimes the females will stick around till they're two years old and kind of help out with the pack um, and help raise the offspring the next year. But um, a lot of times, um, uh, most wolves disperse about one year old. They go look for new territories, look for new mates. And so she uh, traveled over 350 miles uh, crossing New Mexico, moving north up. Uh, she actually crossed um, I-25 uh, near Sevilla National Wildlife Refuge, went over towards across the north part of White Sands Missile Range, went over toward the Manzano Mountains uh, and crossed I-40 a couple of times just uh, kind of east of the Edge, Edgewood area, um, the East Mountains. And so she was looking for new territories, looking for new mates. And where she landed and established up in northern New Mexico, just east of Angel Fire, um, there's no other wolves up in that area. Uh, it is uh, right now is the prime mating season. And so there was a lot of concerns about her just getting in trouble, um, connecting or get, getting together with uh, feral do uh, dogs or ranch dogs um, or anything like that. So uh, she up in that area, she is not contributing to recovery and is likely to get in trouble. So that's part of the decision of uh, capturing her and moving her back down south into the recovery area. Can you talk about the dichotomy between the perception of that we have and maybe the desire many of us have to see wolves free and acting on their own accord versus how how the recovery and management program works? So wolves in general are very polarizing animals. People really love wolves or they really hate wolves. Um, and there's it's a people feel very passionate about wolves one way or another. And so we are trying to uh, grow a program, uh, reestablish uh, the Mexican wolf, uh, bring it back from the brink of extinction uh, in the Southwest uh, and do so on public land, on forest service land, um, but do so in a way that offsets some of the impacts because wolves do eat livestock. Uh, they do have impacts on the livestock industry. And we've got several programs in place to uh, compensate for losses, for um, kills, also as well for preventative measures for ranchers that want to um, uh, prevent wolves from eating their livestock, such as range raiders. And so um, there are incentives in place to offset some of those because uh, when you reintroduce a top predator, 
uh, into the landscape, they are going to have impacts. Uh, and so we're trying to balance wolf recovery and bring them back, but do so in, the, in a way that uh, reduces some of the impacts. Uh, and so um, in doing so, uh, because we have a 10J in place in the Southwest, we are able to reduce some of those regulations, which allows the livestock industry to protect their private property because livestock are people's private property whether they're on a forest service land or on private land and so some of these we have more reduced regulations for private land so that people can take more proactive measures including um, actually killing a wolf that is attacking their livestock uh, if it occurs on public land on forest service land uh, they can't just go out and kill it i can issue them a permit to do so if we had a series of depredations or a series of problems in that area. But we're trying to uh, balance this growth of a top predator with um, offsetting some of those impacts to people's private property. So if, if livestock owners are compensated and the government helps with these preventative measures, like why, why not let a, a wolf roam? in you know different areas because when a wolf moves north of i-40 the full protections of the endangered species act apply and so if a livestock owner sees the wolf attacking their livestock there's nothing they can do about it they cannot haze harass they can't do anything about it and so um to me it you know i was thinking about this a little bit it's kind of very similar uh uh to like if you were to go out side one morning and see somebody just uh, trashing your car, trying to steal your car, and there were no laws in place about, you know, protecting your personal property, and you all you could do was sit there and watch, you know, that would not be a very favorable thing. And it's very similar with livestock or people's personal property, you know, it's their livelihood um, in a lot of cases, in most cases. And so uh, to have a wolf in an area where they could destroy their private property, and there's nothing they can do about it, um, then it's not very popular uh, to have wolves remaining in that area. At some point, when we do reach recovery, our recovery goal here in the Southwest is to reach 320 wolves uh, throughout Southwest New Mexico and Southeast Arizona. And we're uh, right around 200. We're doing our population counts right now as we speak um, over the next two weeks. Um, we should be over 200 this year and so when we're at about 320 averaged over eight years we'll be able to reach recovery numbers and once that happens once we can pull it off of the endangered species list then wolves will be able to go up north in northern areas and people can then proactively protect their personal property um, north of i-40 so we've talked about this sort of i-40 boundary um, and as i understand it um, south of the boundary um, livestock owners can harass or haze um, wolves away from their livestock north of i-40 the full protections of the endangered species act prevent that from happening so how did that i-40 boundary like how was that decided upon so under the endangered species act when we designate a 10j um, we have to draw lines on the map uh, the Endangered Species Act says you got to draw the line somewhere. And uh, most of the time, whenever we do uh, 10J to reintroduce 
an animal uh, and draw those lines on the map, we draw it around uh, their historic range. And the, the historic range of the Mexican wolf is south of I-40 uh, all the way down through south central Mexico. So historically, 90% of the Mexican wolf subspecies population occurred in Mexico. And so um, because of that reason, the boundary was drawn at I-40. And north of I-40, uh, like around northern New Mexico, Colorado area, it became uh, an intergradation zone of several different subspecies of wolves from northern wolves to Great Plains wolves to Mexican wolves to probably four or five different subspecies mixing sort of in that area. But there wasn't a real distinct clear line. Um, but with Mexican wolves, there is a very distinct line from I-40 uh, down south in uh, south central Mexico. So the recovery program, which has been ongoing since the 1990s, is um, a, a controversial program kind of on both sides. You have livestock owners who, you know, like you've mentioned, don't want a top predator out there. But you guys also receive a lot of pushback from environmental groups who've cr criticized any number of issues, including related to uh, genetics and removing wolves from the wild. How does the Fish and Wildlife Service try to um, focus on the recovery of the species with, with so much controversy on all sides? It is a very controversial program. I don't know of too many other programs throughout the country um, that are more controversial. I mean, we've got, you got Northern Grace um, and grizzly bears, um, but Mexican wolves are right up there the most controversial uh, species try to recover to try to recover and it makes it very difficult because we're really trying to uh, find the balance of um, growing a population uh, and also at the same time uh, offsetting the impacts that it has on the livestock industry and so um, one of our primary goals of this program is to try to manage and reduce livestock depredations when they do occur through the southwest so we've got a number of tools a number of partners uh, we partner with arizona game and fish new mexico game and fish usda wildlife services forest service blm park service we've got a lot of um, partners in this program and each one of them we're all working together we're contributing money to range riders um, to all sorts of hazing and harassing techniques to prevent depredations um, we can't always uh, prevent it. A lot of times uh, we can though. And so we uh, spend a vast amount of time, effort, energy, staff, personnel, resources to uh, reduce livestock depredations as part of the program. It's one of our primary goals. Because without that, we won't have the social tolerance um, or the tolerance to be able to uh, recover wolves here in the Southwest. And so do you feel like over the course of the the program and by having these measures in place, have ranchers in southwestern New Mexico become more tolerant of wolves? Um, some have and some haven't. And I don't think um, some ever will, um, but I think there are a number of ranchers out there that we're working with that are altering their operations, that are using our preventative um, uh, measures that are um, trying to really work on ways of offsetting the impacts. And we have a lot of cases where we've got 
wolves denning uh, with livestock or around livestock and a lot of packs that um, are not depredating on livestock. And so um, I, you know, a lot of the measures are working. It's never going to be foolproof. There will always, you know, wolves will, will eat cows. Um, you know, their, their primary prey source is elk. And so um, whenever uh, you know, they are hungry or if it's easier to kill a cow and they're in that area, they're going to do so. Um, but, you know, if we can haze them, harass them, teach them not to um, and to stay away from cows, then uh, that's one of our primary goals. Mm -hmm. So lastly, um, the annual count is, is happening right now. Um, what are you anticipating? I'm anticipating a number, another growth year. We've grown um, um, for the last basically six years in a row. Some years of growth are a little bit better than others. Um, a couple of years ago, we grew by nearly 40 individuals. Last year, we only grew by 10. Um, this year, it's hard to say, uh, really hard to predict. I am expecting something a little bit better than last year. Um, I do think we'll be um, well over 200. Uh, as a minimum count. And so I think we're going to have another positive growth year this year. Well, Brady, thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Laura Paskus. Find more environmental content on New Mexico in Focus as part of our show, Our Land, New Mexico's Environmental Past, Present, and Future. You can find Our Land all over the place on the PBS video app, Instagram, YouTube, and subscribe to Our Land Weekly. Thanks. Bye.